I'm Paige Waterhouse. And I'm Nabil Raza. From the Cavalier Daily, this is On Record. So, Paige, you might have noticed there's a lot of changes coming to university buildings. I have noticed that, Nabil. There's definitely a lot of construction. Yeah, so the university changes often, and with a growing student population and with different needs, there's been a lot of investment into new buildings or renovation of buildings or just changing the landscape in general. Growth. Yeah. So in the 70s, total enrollment just passed 10,000 students, and now we're at about 24,000 students. And the population has increased in diversity with um, African-American students being admitted in the 50s and women being able to begin full co-education in the 70s. The increase of enrollment has also come with adjustments to current housing for undergraduate students with the remodeling of Alderman Road dorms in the mid-2000s and the recent construction of Bond House. And we did an episode on that last season, didn't we, Nabil? Yeah, we did. You should check it out. Back on season one, go ahead and give it a listen. Yeah. So ongoing housing construction also includes the Brandon Avenue projects, which are designed to accommodate about 313 students in an apartment-style resident. And those projects are being constructed as part of a larger Green Street vision for Brandon Avenue, and that places an emphasis on sustainability and green spaces. The current construction projects page on the university website states, quote, One of the Brandon Avenue design objectives includes embracing the sustainability goals of the university, leveraging unseen opportunities such as podium parking and green spaces, and providing places of transparency to put learning and activity on display. So this is part of a larger push um, towards sustainability and transparency and accessibility that the university is trying to undergo. For example, in October of 2019, um, the lawn, a you know, age-old UNESCO World Heritage Site was finally made um, handicap accessible with the addition of ramps to go up the terrace levels. The new project has provided a permanent, continuous, barrier-free route along the terraces from the rotunda to Old Cabell Hall. Even though there's been some strides to make grounds more accessible, people have called for increased work in this area. A number of organizations around grounds have called for increased accessibility and adherence to ADA standards. The Student Council representative body passed a resolution back in 2017 calling for the increase of accessibility of the lawn by making rooms of the academic village wheelchair-friendly. Technically speaking, the university isn't legally obligated to adhere to the Americans with Disabilities Act standards for the lawn and the rotunda since they are designated as UNESCO World Heritage Sites. Another big change coming up is to the Emmett and Ivy Street Corridor. The Emmett Ivy Corridor houses the old Cavalier Inn and other properties that are currently being torn down for the development of a collaborative space. The 14 and a half acre lot is planned to hold a 225 room hotel, 25,000 square feet of conference space, and a pedestrian friendly landscape. One of the main focuses in this development is linking central and north grounds. Um, North grounds being where Darden and the law school are, and central grounds, of course, being where the rotunda and a lot of the classroom buildings are. Many community members have voiced their support for a more pedestrian-friendly space around the Emmy and Ivy Corridor. Alice Rocher, the architect for the university, spoke in early November about the updates for the university reconstruction, stressing that there will be an increased pedestrian friendliness in Emmett Ivy Street Corridor, with an emphasis on having a bustling, multi-purpose area for students and the community. She also mentioned that the university, along with the city of Charlottesville, 
has been granted $12.1 million in funding to, quote, improve pedestrian and bike safety along the Emmett and Ivy intersection. To speak with us about the Emmett Ivy Corridor Project, we have Professor of Architecture Andrew Monshine. I'm Andrew Monshine. I'm an assistant professor of urban and environmental planning here in the School of Architecture at the University of Virginia. Um, and my research and my teaching focuses on transportation for most of the time. So in this episode, we're talking about the Emmett Ivy Corridor Project, um, and we would like to hear a little bit from you about if you have any involvement in that project, what you know about it, the plans that are laid out. So if you want to give us a little rundown. So my involvement in the Emmett Ivy uh, Corridor Project is really through a class that I taught last semester. So I teach a class called um, Transportation and Land Use. Um, uh, it's a graduate level class but um, that both undergrads and grads take. And uh, last semester, um, the School of Architecture was approached by, um, by the Office of the Architect to see whether um, we might be ready and interested in engaging um, in the Ivy Corridor project through a class. And so um, I said, absolutely, this, this would be perfect since the class always focuses on some project. It's a project-based class. And it usually focuses on some issue of how transportation and land use fundamentally have to function together to provide a better urban experience mobility-wise, sustainability-wise, and equity-wise. Um, this seemed like the perfect project right here at UVA. Um, there, there's a ton to think about. And so we, uh, we said yes, definitely. And uh, my, cl my class became the Emmett Ivy Corridor class for last semester. And um, what we really focused on in the class was connectivity specifically. So thinking about connectivity not just within the new developments that are going to come, so all the pathways within the Ivy Corridor, but also connecting Ivy Corridor to the rest of the university. So what came out of the class? So the class itself produced a product, actually. It's a report called Connecting the Ivy Corridor. And fundamentally, it's a compendium of 15 different projects, or 14, excuse me, I'm already forgetting how many students were in the class, who really spanned um, disciplines including urban planning, um, landscape architecture, also um, engineering, actually. Uh, somebody came from, from the engineering school to take the class. And um, thinking about connectivity within and beyond the Ivy Corridor in different ways. So when you look at it, there's some general ideas. There's some thinking around how do we use the topography of the university to connect central grounds to the Ivy Corridor and then maybe to north grounds as well. There's thinking of a lot of thought about how do we deal with Emmett and how do we cross Emmett Street. Um, that itself is a major problem and a major issue. So there's thinking about that. There's there's thinking about what do we do with bikes and even um, micro-mobility like scooters. How are they going to actually be fit into whatever this becomes? And um, even some really interesting regional thinking of how this can be a node, specifically with the railroad corridor, um, that actually there's some really interesting news around that railroad corridor being bought by the state from its current private owner. Um, what can we do with that, that rail corridor, not just to link... UVA, its different parts um, together, but also to link UVA to the region and beyond. And, and so there, there is a real diversity, and we can talk about some specifics for sure. But yeah, it's, 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 it's really chock full of some, some cool ideas. Just for some of our listeners who may be a little unfamiliar with the area, can you talk about how the rail corridor fits into the Emmett-Ivy corridor? 
Absolutely. So the rail corridor is, is are the tracks that everyone knows. They're the tracks that go under Beta Bridge. They're the tracks that go over the corner at 14th Street and University. Um, and they run continually west from about where the School of Architecture is over Emmett Street. And then they bifurcate the Emmett Ivy Corridor from the athletic grounds. They um, represent right now a barrier. Fundamentally, really nobody but a few trains, a few Amtrak trains every day, or not even a few, just one or two, um, plus empty coal cars basically running from, uh, from eastern Virginia out to west Virginia um, are all that really use those tracks these days. But um, the state of Virginia, the Commonwealth, is purchasing, or at least has a deal, if it's funded, to purchase those tracks, which is an amazing opportunity to rethink what those tracks could be. We still want to use them for regional transportation, but they also mean that there are new ways of thinking about transit that um, we have a ready corridor for that links not just downtown to UVA and beyond, out to the west to Crozet and beyond, but even potentially local transit. And some of the students really focused on what that node really in a transit network would look like. Do you want to talk about some of the other specifics of the, of the proposal? Sure, I think that's the best thing to do. I think one of the big issues and one of the questions that was really posed to us by the Office of the Architect um, and, and others as well is how can pedestrians really reach this site, get across Emmett, um, and do it in a way that is safe, is comfortable, um, and fundamentally means that it doesn't feel separated from central grounds, um, and as well as north grounds. And so we took a number of approaches. Different students you know, took on different ways of looking at this. Um, some of the ideas fundamentally look at, well, maybe it's time for a bridge. Maybe it's time for a bridge across Emmett Street. We already know there's a bridge a little bit north, but that's kind of out of the way for a lot of people. So if we want people to get directly to the, um, to the Emmett-Ivy corridor, right there at the intersection of Emmett and University and Ivy, um, someone developed a bridge that you know, not only could function as a way of crossing, but a way of uh, enabling people to kind of take in vistas and, and look at what's going on. We do have precedent for that even at the university with c the connections of the South Lawn to um, to new and old Cabell, for example, there's there's that bridge there over JPA. Uh, we also looked at um, we also looked at how can we connect North Grounds to Ivy, you know, to the Ivy Corridor, and that's an entirely different issue because that's really an issue of land use more than anything else. And the idea that we kind of, when the university was developed or the North Grounds were developed, it was really done in a very suburban way. You know, when you think, you know, as, as an urban planner, we often think about how older, older places have a very different quality. And often part of that quality is that it has a mix of uses. Pl old places have mixed use. They have, they have the opportunity to live, to work, to uh, engage in social activities, all within a small space, fairly integrated. Suburbs are not like that. It's a block of houses. It's a, it's a block of offices. You know, um, it's, it's a block of parkland. And really, that's how North Grounds was developed. We have athletics grounds, and it's all athletics, nothing else. Um, then just beyond that, there's some very suburban graduate student housing. And then beyond that, there's a law school. There's a gym. There's a business school. And they're all very separated. There's no real integration there. 
And so one of the recommendations we made, um, and when I say we, I really mean the students. I, I want to be clear that these are student projects, was to really think about how what's going on in the Ivy Corridor so that, so that the life of Emmett Ivy continues north, and then when people are moving towards north grounds, um, it's not so far away from a con at a conceptual level. So I see a couple copies of the project sitting here on your shelf. Did any of them make it to the university? Yes, absolutely. So um, for one thing, um, the Office of the Architect, um, Alice Rauscher, um, as, as well as others in the Office of the Architect, came and, and, and joined us in the class. And so she attended what we call a mid-review as well as the final review um, using architecture lingo of, of coming and seeing the projects as they were unfolding and, and um, gave, us, gave us great input. Um, not all, you know, and not always, not always input that, that said that this is going to work, but sometimes saying, are you sure you've thought of this? Are you sure you've thought of that? Which is, you know, really important um, for, for the students to hear how what they're thinking is, is realistic or not. Um, but, but yes, um, the, you know, through working with the Office of the Architect, we put together this report, which they have. We've actually um, as well sent it to, um, to the UVA rector, who's the head of the Board of Visitors, as well as, um, as, well as um, a major figure on the Emmett Ivy Corridor um, uh, steering committee, the, the, the group actually making the decisions. So you talk about some of these plans already in the work, and... Um, the proposals that the students have put forth with a huge focus on connecting the university bubble to the outside Charlottesville and Albemarle communities. Was there any pushback that's been raised from the community based on these projects and plans that are in the work? I, I will be perfectly honest to say our class, you know, which moved fast and, um, and really only, you know, got to do some aspects of a fully-fledged planning and design process, did not directly engage with community members. We read, we read the results of other community engagements, um, but we didn't do our own. And so what I would say is that's going to be critical, you know. Um, uh, far be it from a professor or students or anyone else or, or the university as a whole to assume what people really want. And so all of those ideas really need to be brought to the community and even, you know, potentially subsumed by the ideas that community members uh, or, or superseded by ideas that community members bring to us. I think that's one of the challenges we always face in, in planning and design is that we need to generate something to to help help the community envision the future, but we don't want to get so far ahead of the community that um, that fundamentally the, their voice is lost, and and so that's actually something that um, that many of us take very seriously. And so I think within the context of this class, um, we we are very careful not to say that any one thing is the right thing to do, and in fact. Like I said, 14 students, 14 ideas that are interlocking but not the same, but that span a, a whole broad set of ideas. Um, th those ideas and others, as there will be many, really do need to be brought to the community. Any closing thoughts or other projects that you'd like us to be aware of or things to know? I think the only closing thought is is one project that I didn't have a chance to mention, but, but that... Um, that I think is really cool is one of one of the students worked on this idea that um, that the spaces of the university, when you think about the area around the lawn, when you think about um, really anywhere, 
it's not just about the big public spaces. It's about the small, hidden, contemplative spaces as well. It's the gardens behind um, the pavilions, for example. And so because of that, one of the students really focused on what would those contemplative, small, hidden spaces be in the Ivy Corridor? And I don't think, and I think everyone realized when, when she brought this up, um, the student, that, wow, you know, we don't know what that is. We don't know what that's going to be at all. But it was clearly very important to Jefferson. Um, and I think that that's going to be important. We shouldn't, we shouldn't lose the fact that there's a quality to the spaces of UVA. Thanks to Professor Monchin for talking to us. So Alderman Library, which spans over 230,000 square feet, was first built in 1938, roughly 80 years ago. This first major renovation will cost about $105 million and will transform key aspects of the facility. If you've been keeping up with your midterm studying, you know that some areas of the library, like Alderman Stacks, have already been closed off. The reconstruction process has begun in part, and the library will fully close in May of 2020. So the library plans to reopen in spring of 2023. Everything, including Stacks, will be brand new and even better. So there are many aspects that the renovation plans to improve, including Alderman's infrastructure and finding better ways for students to maneuver within the library. The goal of this renovation would be to create a comfortable and usable environment that's accessible and welcoming to all students. And one of the big line items is finally building a bridge that connects Clemens and Alderman Library. Books will be compactly shelved and archival spaces for rare books and maps will allow for engagement with physical books while maximizing the diversity of areas that students can study in. All of this will be accomplished while maintaining Alderman's architectural and aesthetic integrity. The motivations behind a lot of these changes are rooted in increased inclusivity and accessibility around grounds. So with that, the university has stated that they are committed to creating an inclusive environment for all students and community members. To do this, they're looking at architecture, accessibility, and even the names of some of the existing landmarks around grounds. So there's also been a push to rename spaces which honor individuals whose views no longer represent the views of the university and replacing them with what the university believes is a better representation of our community. You know, part of the impetus behind this is that people see names like Alderman, who was a eugenicist, and Curry, who was also a eugenicist, and people see individuals who espoused and promoted racist views and understandably feel uncomfortable with these buildings. In addition to the changing of some of these names, there have been actual architectural changes that have been slowly overtaking the classic Jeffersonian architectural style of the original buildings. An obvious example would be Campbell Hall's modernist design, which is a stark contrast to any building near Central Grounds. Um, this has come to the ire of a few people. Recently, opinion columnist Thomas Ferguson wrote a column expressing his distaste of the, quote, avant-garde architectural structures on grounds and saying, quote, Clemens Library in the dorms at Lambeth look like they belong in Stalingrad, not within walking distance to the renowned UNESCO World Heritage Site that is the Academical Village. There is a reason why the university markets itself using pictures of the rotunda and not the chemistry building or Fitzhugh House. Though some may disagree, these spaces are aiming to create a more inclusive and respectful space for the community on grounds. One of the most prominent of these changes will be the Memorial to Enslaved Laborers, which will open later this year. On April 11th, actually. And will become a prominent part of grounds. Obviously, the university will continue to adapt and change to changing times, and we'll continue covering it here at the Cavalier Daily. Keeping you updated. 
So Paige, what's been on your mind this week? Um, What's been on my mind? I had to do, all right, I know I talk a lot about astronomy. Not really. I just talked about it last time. I'm going to talk about it again, though, because I, okay, this week I had to do a telescope observing lab for my astronomy class. And when I did it last semester, it was an overcast night, so we didn't get to look through the telescope at all. But this time I got to look through the telescope. I actually got to look through three telescopes. It was really cool. Got to see. What'd you see? I got to see a nebula and two open clusters. Oh, the first supermoon of the year will be on March 9th. It will also be a worm moon. I am still trying to figure out what that is. So maybe by next week I will have that answer for you. You heard it here first. Worms on the moon. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, what's been on your mind, Nabil? What has been on my mind? Oh, so on my mind this week, we've been talking about sort of the origins of anthropology and the modern way, like basically Boaz and how anthropology became an uh, or has attempted to become an anti-racist subject has been super interesting, especially when I tie it back to like what I know about genetics and um, genetic variation and basically how people have tried to make up science about race. What class is this for? Anthropology, Ra- racism, nationalism, multiculturalism. Who's the professor? Richard Handler. Sounds yeah. interesting. Thanks Super for sharing. Super interesting. I'm oh. Nabil Raza. And I'm Paige Waterhouse. And this has been On Record. On Record is written by Peyton Guthrie, Will Bird, Abigail Long, Jisoo Park, Shreyas Golopoli, and Neela Kanan. The show is produced by Grace Blue Hardy and Ann Williams. Our editor is Nabil Raza. 